0: Amen. Well, if you'll uh, remain standing and if you'll open your Bibles, we're going to be looking at, uh, we're continuing in the book of Luke, we're looking at chapter 5, and we'll be looking at the first 11 verses in Luke chapter 5. This is what Jesus is calling his first disciples. He says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, as we open up your scriptures today, as we look at your word, Lord, your word to us, may, Lord, may our hearts be open, may our minds be clear, may, Lord, we have a receptive spirit. To receive what you speak, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing to you, O Lord, my Rock and my Redeemer. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, grace and peace to you, Shorebreak. This is Super, Day, Super Bowl Sunday. We have a pretty large crowd here. Now, well, uh, it's a uh, you know when we look at the around the world right now, I think there's millions of people. I don't know if if you watched if you've watched any of the game or. Hopefully, nobody here is uh, streaming the game right now. But if you, uh, if you have uh, been at parties, and uh, you go to Super Bowl parties around the, uh, you know, around the place, everywhere, there's millions of people gathered together to watch teams play a game of football. Today, though, we're going to be looking at what it means to actually get into the game. Uh, and In this case, it's the game of making disciples. And so before we get started, I want to just quickly back up a little bit uh, Leo's been preaching to us, and we're going through the book of Luke. Uh, Luke is the third of the four Gospels. Uh, a lot of people ask the question, why are there four Gospels? Uh, what's, why do we need four Gospels? Um, each of the four Gospels speaks to a different uh, group. It paints a unique portrait of Jesus. They show us uh, the same Jesus, but they portray him from different perspectives. And so, if we look at these four unique portraits uh, real quickly, we look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which what we, a lot of people call those the synoptic gospels. The first three, they have a lot of literary uh, familiarity, similarity between those. And so there's a lot of material that you'll read in those three gospels that is shared by, the, by each of the other two. And um, so we look at those in Matthew. Uh, so Matthew was written by a Jewish author, written to a Jewish audience about the Messiah of the Old Testament, the promised Messiah, who is Jesus. And Matthew, by the way, quotes more from the Old Testament than any of the other Gospels. And then we got the book of Mark. Now, Mark is the shortest uh, of the, of the uh, four Gospels, and it was likely the first one that was written. And uh, it really portrays Jesus as a suffering son of God, uh, who offers himself as a sacrifice for sins. Uh, Mark was written, by the way, to a Gentile audience, which is basically a non-Jewish audience. And uh, in this case, particularly, it was written to the Roman citizens of the time. Now, we, got, we have Luke. Now, Luke is, uh, shows Jesus as the Savior for all people. Um, when we see Luke, he, brings salva- he talks about Jesus who brings salvation to all nations and all people groups. Uh, Luke is written also to a Gentile audience. In fact, Uh, most agree that Luke himself was a Gentile. He was a physician, and so because of that, he was very thorough in what he did. And what we see is that uh, Luke emphasized the chronological and historical accuracy which makes Luke the most comprehensive, and it's the longest of the four Gospels. In fact, Luke is the longest book in the New Testament. A lot of people don't realize Luke actually wrote most of the New Testament. If you look at total volume between Luke and Acts, um, Luke wrote more of the new testament than any other author of the new testament in fact luke was also of the four gospel writers he was the only one to write another book in this case the book of acts um, so when we look at this it presents luke presents jesus christ as the perfect man and who he came to seek and to save a sinful world and then we have the book of john uh, john shows jesus as the eternal son of god the self-revelation of god the father where luke presents christ in his humanity as the son of man, John portrays him in his deity in order to spark believing faith in his readers. John, see, he focuses on the theological meaning of Jesus's actions. And so you have these four gospels that give us a deeper, more profound understanding of who Jesus is and what he did. And one of the things, I don't know if you guys have, have looked on the website, Shorebreak Church. Uh, We have a website, and you can go to that website. And when you do, you look on the About page. And under the the About page, uh, About section, the drop-down menu, you'll see our beliefs. And you would see that at Shorebreak Church. um, This is what it states that we, we believe at Shorebreak. We believe that Jesus established the church through the Holy Spirit by the preaching of God's Word, community, breaking of bread, and prayer to empower believers to go into all the world and make disciples and so when we talk about a disciple a disciple has been shown to be someone who follows the teachings the life and the aim of another person until that person becomes like the master discipleship in the christian sense is the process of uh, someone becoming like christ and so when we think about that we always we look at uh what many of us are familiar with the great commission right uh, the Great Commission is found in Matthew uh, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. I'm reminded by it. I, um, when I graduated from seminary, uh, my wife, we had been saving up coins in, in like a three-gallon, three not a five-gallon uh, water jug. And uh, so she took all the change uh, from that, and they bought me this really cool ring. Um, it's, the, it's my graduation ring from seminary. When I got my, my doctorate, it's got several things like on the one side here, it's got the year 2001, and there's a picture of the chapel that we went to. Every day at, at seminary, we had chapel services. And then on the other side of the ring uh, is a gate, and there's a, a passage on there. It's Matthew chapter 28, 18 through20. 20. And so we're remi- it's, it's a reminder to those of us who went through that, uh, that seminary training of what God's given us is that great commission. And this is what it states there in Matthew chapter 28. It says, "Jesus came and said to them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this mandate of the Great Commission, which is making people into disciples, is the process of making someone become like Christ. Um, This contribution shows that as individuals learn and follow the pattern of Jesus' life, there will be marks of discipleship, such as commitment and being like him in actions. The strength, influence of the church is shown to be wholly dependent upon its commitment to authentic discipleship. You see, that is, we're producing transformed lives, seeing those lives reproduced in others. So again, an important part of us as the church, the body of believers, is this idea of discipleship, this idea of producing transformed lives and seeing those lives reproduced in others. So this morning, we're looking at an amazing passage of Scripture that tells how Jesus called his disciples. Now, Luke's story of Jesus uh, calling the first, disi- uh, the first disciples is unique among the, even in the Synoptic Gospels. So uh, Mark and Matthew, they speak of Jesus walking along the Sea of Galilee and abruptly calling Simon, Andrew, James, and John to follow him. We see that in Matthew chapter 4 and again in Mark chapter 1. Only Luke tells the story of a miraculous catch of fish preceding the call. So this passage that we'll see, and I'm hope, hopefully I'll be able to guide you through this, this passage shows the progression that moved Peter from fisherman to fisher of men. Uh, We're going to look again. Let's break it down, and we look at uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It says, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, that's another name for the Sea of Galilee. Uh, When we look at this, uh, basically what what it's telling us is kind of where we are on the lake. Um, We're basically on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee, the northwestern shore is by the plains of Gennesaret, and uh, in New Testament times, much of the ministry of Jesus happens on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, this is Simon Peter that we know here, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Now, this served two purposes. First of all, it gave Jesus a little distance from those who were crowding in on him. Uh, they were crowding around. Jesus says exact fact that they were pressing in on him. Um, secondly, water, um, of course, if, you, uh, you know, if you're on the water, it serves like an amplifier. Um, if you ever stood on a boat on a quiet lake and you yell at someone across the water, it's, uh, it's amazing how that sound can travel. So Jesus is sitting in a boat and he's preaching. He's teaching the people, and so when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, "Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch." Now again, we want to. I want to put you in in perspective in a place. This uh, this Sea of Galilee is a fairly large body of water. Okay, it's uh, it's about 33 miles around. So in circumference. Um, that'd be a pretty good run, uh, even, even for Dan in the back here who's a long-distance runner. 33 miles, that's a good, that's a good distance, right? Um, it's about 8 miles wide um, at its widest point and about 13 miles long. In, in fact, the way the Sea of Galilee is, and, they, and this was something you'll see later when you see how they're out in the boat, and remember when Peter was walking on the waters, it's important to recognize that was not a simple task. It wasn't easy to be in the Sea of Galilee because what happens is it gets deep very quickly. In fact, uh, it's about a little over 140 feet deep. That's a pretty deep uh, lake of Gennesaret or the Sea of Galilee. So we're talking about a large body of water. And, and, And Jesus is telling Peter, put out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. Now, Luke doesn't tell us what Jesus taught the crowds that morning. And that's important because really the focus is on what follows. Uh, What we're going to be looking at here is what goes from this point forward. And in this case, Jesus tells Simon to put out into the deep water, let down the nets for a catch. Now, Simon obviously believes that this is going to be a pointless exercise. In fact, if you look at the text in the ESV, it's really interesting because they put the exclamation point there on this little sentence um, that comes up. Um, Simon obviously believes that this is, is a pointless exercise. I mean, in fact, he's a professional fisherman. Right, this is what he does for a living. Uh, We can almost hear some of that uh, frustration in his voice when he responds, and he says this: "He says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing! Exclamation point. But at your word, I will let down the nets." So Peter likely had some doubts, or would he? He would have just said, "Okay, let's 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 put out," you know. Instead, he asks, he makes that that statement to him. So let me ask you a question: Can you look back on your life? And you maybe see places where your heart was filled with doubt, but you decided to obey anyway. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. These other partners, by the way, are James and John, sons of Zebedee. And they came and they filled the boats, both of the boats, so that they began to sink. It's a lot of fish. Now, I love this. First, it shows a couple of things to us. It shows that obedience, even maybe without some faith there, pays dividends. Um, that's a good principle to remember for us. Did Peter expect to catch anything? Probably not. But he was just maybe maybe humor in Jesus, whatever the case may be. But obedience, without any faith, it has, still has its own reward. In fact, throughout Scripture, we read God tells us to be doers, not hearers only. God tells us that our actions, our behaviors is what He calls us to., He tells us to obey. Now sometimes we say, "Oh gone it, I don't, but well, we still need to obey. What we see here by Peter is he obeyed. and so here's the situation: uh, obedience. Jesus didn't just get a lesson. Peter did. He learns that Jesus knows Peter's business better than Peter does. Jesus isn't just a Sunday morning theological expert, Jesus knows Peter's business better than Peter does. And I'll tell you what, Jesus also knows your business better than you do. Do you know that? It's absolutely true. Folks, this is why we obey, even if we disagree like Peter. It's because Jesus knows best. His commands are only for our good. Rest assured, God knows your business better than you. His commands are for our good, not for our ill. Samuel told Saul in 1 Samuel 15, he said to to obey is better than sacrifice. Obedience has its own reward. So let's go back to Peter here. Suddenly, he's got all those fish. Nets are breaking, not one, but two boats are sinking from the weight of all those fish. Peter's reaction is extraordinary. Incredibly, he looks at all those fish, and then he looks at Jesus, And we read in verse 8, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So in that haul of fish, Peter saw two things that he hadn't seen before. He saw the absolute holiness of Jesus, and he saw the absolute sinfulness of Peter. See, the scales fell from Peter's eyes at that moment. How about us? Have we seen the depravity in us in contrast to the holiness of Jesus Christ? That's what drives repentance. You see, when you're in the presence of a greatness, uh, your heart is filled with a weird mixture of attraction and repelling. You're not sure if you want to draw close or if you want to run away. So in the presence of true greatness, you're both attracted and you want to run away. That's what happened to Peter. When Jesus calls people to follow him, he often begins with this overwhelming vision of terror. Think about it. Throughout Scripture, we see that human sin, failure, inadequacy, there are no obstacles to God's call. God calls imperfect people to do God's work. People who are aware of their unworthiness and often doubting and resistant to God's call. God doesn't wait for them to shape up. He calls them as they are, and, when, and then he, when they come, that's when he shapes us into faithful servants. So, for example, when God appeared to Moses in the burning bush, Moses hid his face because he was afraid. And then a little bit later, when the Lord told Moses to go to Pharaoh, Moses said, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? How about when God called the prophet Isaiah uh, to be his messenger, he first uh, gave Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, he gives him a glimpse of his glory, so much so that Isaiah cried out, woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then if you remember uh, in, in, in Jeremiah, uh, when God called Jeremiah, uh, the weeping prophet, right? He told him, God told him before he was born, he, before he was even formed in the womb, he knew him, and he appointed Jeremiah prophet before he was born, and Jeremiah said, get this, he said, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I'm only a youth, and God said to Jeremiah, do not be afraid. Now, why in this case with, we see with Jesus, why does Jesus do this? Why does he sometimes terrify you when he calls you? Because only the sense of awe, the sense of reverence, amazement, and wonder compels obedience. Until God is big to you, you'll never have the strength to obey him. As his unworthiness overwhelmed him, Peter begged Jesus to go. But that's exactly what Jesus was looking for. He couldn't use a Peter who was half in and half out. You see, When Peter recognizes who Jesus really is, addressing him as Lord. Now, by the way, if you look in the uh, passage a little bit earlier, a few verses before that, he said, Master. And then after the fish come in, Jesus says, Lord. He now is addressing him as Lord, not just Master. When he acknowledges not just his sin, but that he's a sinful man. He's ready for eternal life now and a life of discipleship. This sense of wonder and amazement, reverence, fear of the Lord, as you will, is the first quality of a disciple. But before we leave this point, I, I don't want to miss something. I wouldn't be serving you well if I, if I left it here. You see, that, that same awe that Peter experienced here wasn't ultimately sufficient in his journey. Peter, even after seeing Jesus this way, he would still struggle with pride. You, if you follow his story, through Jesus' life, all the way up through the crucifixion and beyond. Uh, Peter was his eldest man. He's the one that chopped the ear off of the guard, and Jesus like, come on, man, he had to sew the ear back on. Uh, Peter was the one that said, I will never deny you. He denied him three times. And when he did uh, deny him, after his failure, he fled uh, from Jesus in shame and hiding. And so Jesus, interestingly, in fact, when I was reading this, I thought, man, this sounds so familiar. He, Jesus repeats that exact miracle to Peter at the end of his life. It was after his resurrection, um, but it has a whole different effect. If you look in the book of John, chapter 21, the last, book of, uh, last chapter of the book of John, the end of the Gospels, right after the cross and the resurrection, after Peter had denied Jesus, Jesus does this whole miracle again uh peter's out fishing again this time there's seven of the disciples out there uh the first ones that we saw that were called uh peter james john andrew there's also nathaniel there's there's basically seven of the disciples that are out there fishing and jesus says i'm gonna go out and fish and the other guy said hey we're gonna come with you and so they go out and they get in the boat and um you, you notice all, they they fish all night and guess what they catch nothing and they, they try casting them. What does Jesus do? He appears to them from the shore, and he calls out to Peter. He says, um, cast your net on the other side. And when he does, they catch so many fish, they can't even pull, pull the net in. Um, it starts with the same problem. Peter's fishing all night, catches nothing. And in these stories, there's this initial, uh, does he even recognize the, who, who Jesus truly is? Uh, Jesus gives the... Same kind of odd instructions. He tells in the first one, go out into the deep and cast and try again. And in this case, he says, try, cast your, your net on the other side. Um, the final cast pulls in a miraculous haul. There's one distinction in these stories, though. In both stories, Peter has a strong reaction to the miracle, right? In the first story, in a story here in the in where we're looking at in Luke 5, Peter tells Jesus, go away from me. In the second one, in John chapter 21, after seeing the miracle, here's what it says in in, uh, 21 verse 7. It says, Then Simon Peter tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and he plunged into the sea, swimming. He He was in such a rush to see Jesus, he jumps in the water, and he's swimming to Jesus. Talk about the difference between these two, these contrasts. In the first, Peter feels so unworthy that he just wants to get away. In the second, he's so drawn to who Jesus is and recognizes him, and he swims back toward Jesus. What makes the difference? This last one happened on the other side of the cross, right? Where Peter just saw how much Jesus, care, uh, where Peter saw how much Jesus cared for him and how committed he was to him even when he sinned. Peter had denied Jesus, uh, yet Jesus still came for him. If anything, his love for Peter, um, it seemed even stronger after Peter's failure than it had before. Peter had seen how Jesus felt about him, even in his failures. He loves you just the same. When you're wounded, when you struggle, and you fall, even as much as when you succeed. Here's a question. When you think about how Jesus feels about you right now, what do you think? When you think about Jesus before you in all of his glory, what emotion comes over you? When the prodigal son returns... From traveling in the far country, remember the father is waiting and he's watching and he picks up his robe to run to him. When Jesus looks over a rebellious Jerusalem, he's not filled with seething anger, but he breaks down and he weeps over them. When Jesus hangs on the cross next to the thief, and you know, the thief's sin and his poor decisions have ruined his whole life, and that thief he, he utters this even the slightest prayer for mercy. Jesus, who can barely speak he hoists himself up to assure the repentant thief that that very day he would be welcomed into paradise. See, when Jesus looks at the lives of those of us who have messed up our lives with sin, what does he feel? Does he feel anger, disgust, even righteous wrath even? No, his first emotion is compassion, a compassion that makes him draw and basically pulls him uh, towards us, a compassion that makes him weep right alongside us in our pain. Now of course, if you resist him, if you shut him out, you will, unfortunately, will face his wrath. But the point is that the first emotion that you feel that Christ feels for us is mercy and tenderness toward us. And seeing this is what changed Peter's heart. Reverential wonder, amazement of Jesus' awesome power in Luke chapter five, it commandeered Peter's will. Again, the question Do we have, has your heart had this revelation? Here's your test. When you've messed up, when you've failed, what does your heart tend to do? To run from Jesus or toward him? So I ask, have you come to Jesus on his terms? I'm talking complete surrender. Have you seen his awesome holiness and your own unworthiness by comparison? If so, then you're ready to become a true disciple. Paul said, but if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, like we shall saw Saul Peter do, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Have you met him at the cross? Is he Lord? Have you been saved like Peter? And you know, when we look at, you know, Peter being saved, you know, you, you can look at this, the circumstances in right here. We don't know, like, what the circumstances around this are, but we do know that At this point, Peter confesses his sin. He's accepting Jesus. He calls him Lord. We know from this point forward, he is no longer half in. He's not half-hearted. I'm all in, he says. And so we look further in the scripture in verse 10. It says, and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. The, world, the word that Jesus uses here means to catch alive. Um, he's saying, hey, Peter, you're, you know, you're, good at, you're good at dead fish, but, but now you're going to catch alive men. Not your plan, my plan. Not your lesson to me, but my lesson to you. Not you as Lord, but me as Lord. Let's go. And they went, and finally Peter gave himself. In the end, that's all that Jesus wants. And that's all they wanted, everything. Jesus wants everything. At last, they were all in. The question for us is, are we all in? If you know Jesus, he has a plan for you to take whatever nets that you have in life, to use them for eternal purposes. Uh, What do you think the purpose of your life is? Jesus intends for you to impact eternity. He wants to take the net that you've been fishing with, and he wants to fill it with things of eternal value. All Jesus wants from us is our willingness to follow him. He doesn't need your ability. He needs your availability. Here's how Jesus explained a few chapters later in Luke. He says that when we're in a moment that we need to testify. Here's what he said. Don't worry in that moment about what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at the very hour what must be said. Luke chapter 12, 11 and 12. And so... We get to the, to the end of this passage, and in verse 11, he says, When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is a recurring theme in Luke. The requirement to be used by Jesus, the requirement to be a follower of Jesus, is total surrender. You have to let it all go. And that's where many of us falter. We're religious. We try to do the right thing. But... Have you ever taken your hands fully off of your life and just said, Jesus, it's all yours? That's the difference between salvation and lordship. When I, was, uh, I left the military back in 1989, I felt God calling me from the military. I thought that I was going to serve God by serving my country. I uh, loved, loved being in the army. Um, I, I've tried to find green every chance I get. Um, I loved um, serving God that way. In 19, 1989, he called me. Actually, 1988, I didn't leave till 89. But uh, when I left the army, um, I I knew God was calling me, and and like these, I would tell you that I always wanted to serve the Lord. I never thought of myself as ever resisting God. But during that season, for about two years, I um, I was I was negotiating a lot with God. God, you know, uh, I, how about if I teach Sunday school? Um, you know, I could be a deacon. Um, they got committees at this church. I'll just join the different committees. I'll volunteer everywhere I can. Uh, wouldn't that be good? And God's you know, well, that's, that's fine. That's not what God wanted. God wanted everything. And so for me, it was in uh, August of 19, 1991. I, I remember it, it's like yesterday. I was driving down to, uh, Interstate 10, um, which is going across. I was, I was in Southeast Texas at the time. I was headed over towards in, in the direction of Houston. Anyway, I'm stopping on the interstate because I'm so overwhelmed in that moment. I'm, I'm, I'm having a moment like we just described here. I couldn't drive because I couldn't see because I was just bawling my eyes out. I pull off the side of the road, and I just said, God, I give. I surrender. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Three months later, I was at seminary getting trained for, uh, for the gospel ministry, um, following God's call on my life. Everybody has a different way that that looks like. But here's the thing. Think about your net and how it might represent your life. Have you ever spread it out before God and said, God, let this represent my talents, my dreams, my hopes, my decisions. What do you want from them? Fill it with what you want. That's a bold move, I know, but think of it in light of what we learned today. If you've seen how tender and trustworthy that Jesus is, why would you not trust him with your life? Why would you trust Jesus to save your soul, but not take care of all your needs? Why would you think that he'd be loving enough to die for you on the cross and for your sins, but not loving enough to guide you into green pastures of peace or besides still waters of fulfillment? This weekend, why not let your nets down and as an act of surrender? And so you take your net and you say, Jesus, put into this what, it, what you want, into my schedule my finances, my heart. Here, it's yours, everything. You know, today there's millions of people who got together, as we said, fellowshipping with food and fun, spending several hours watching and listening as two teams uh, face off in the Super Bowl. The thing is that everyone, except for about 22 people at a time, two, two teams, 11 players on each side, only a few players are actually in the game. Everybody else is spectators. That's what many of us do every Sunday. We come to church, we watch, we listen. Next week, we come to church, we watch, and we listen. But we got to move from being just a spectator to being a participant. Jesus wants disciples. Now, Scripture says, go and make disciples. Our responsibility here is to grow as disciples, is as to, to take the gifts that God has for us so that we can go out into the world and we can be a voice uh, in the wilderness, so we can, that we can lead others to Christ by our lives. Jesus' mission doesn't wait until we think we're ready. The need for the gospel in this broken world is far too urgent. We're called right now. Even in spite of our frailty, in spite of our failures, our doubts, even in the midst of our ordinary, busy, complicated lives, Jesus' word to Simon Peter is also a word to us. Do not be afraid. For most of us, this is not going to mean, like my case, it doesn't mean leaving your current professions behind, although you can't rule that out. um, We're all called to participate in God's mission. To the world in Jesus Christ, we're all called to daily to reorient our priorities, to align with God's priorities, to use the gifts that God's given us in service to others, to share the good news of Christ in word and deed. We, there's so many things even here at Shorebreak. I know our, our uh, pastor here, Leo, is sometimes he gets weary in well doing. Needs we need workers here people who will go and will serve, but we also want to teach and learn and grow in that. That's what discipleship's about. And we have uh, Jesus Christ as the perfect model for us, right, that we can learn from. Jesus wants you, whether you're, it could be a farmer, a banker, uh, an accountant, a policeman, uh, a businessman, a decorator, you might be a housewife, it doesn't matter. He's called you where you are, and he wants you, not your things, but you. He must be Lord of all life, not just the, our religious life, our spiritual life. If he's got you and me, he'll have all the rest. What Peter learned was he's Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we know that your, your word speaks to us, guides us, and directs us. Lord, you show us in, the, in this story of you calling your disciples, in particular, Lord, uh, this, this uh, a calling of, of where we see how Peter came to you. Lord, um, all the disciples were, were following you, Lord, but they're simple people who you equipped. And Father, may each one of us, wherever we are right now, may we answer that call. Uh, there's some people here, we don't, I don't know everybody's heart, Lord. If there's someone here who has not made that initial um, uh, decision, Lord, to invite you into their heart, to accept your death on the cross in payment for their sins that they might receive that right now, Lord, that they might call upon you as their Savior. But, Lord, we know that many here that have you as their Savior and still are wrestling with you as their Lord. And, Lord, here's an opportunity for us to surrender to you, to your Lordship, to follow you, Lord, wherever you might lead us, whatever that might be. Pray, Lord, that you would um, just, as, as hearts are, are touched right now, Lord, uh, help each person not to walk away from here without making a decision a decision to follow you, Lord, to truly be a disciple of yours uh, and to grow in that. Uh, Lord, if there's people that have questions, may they uh, come up to uh, the various leaders to be able to talk about that, to find out where they're most gifted, uh, and whatever it might be, Lord, that you would use them in a mighty way, all to your glory. We give you praise, we give you glory, in Jesus' name, amen.